Sans Pants Radio, Australia's least coherent podcast network. You're listening to Total Reboot, the only podcast on the freaking internet about movies. We are doing a mini-series called Australian Psycho. And we're talking about one of the most sickly, crazy, and psychotic Australian flicks in the history of Australian cinema. My name is Lunatic Lex, and I'm of course joined by Crazy Cameron. Hey, uh, before we move any further ahead with this episode, I just want to press pause to unpack that intro. Um, first of all, just before we started recording, I was racking my brains for a quote from Mad Max that I could say and drop in up the top in a funny way. And the only thing that came to my mind... Was vroom vroom? No, 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 no. And then no. you started the episode with vroom vroom. What That's the fuck crazy. is going on? Well, it's the most notable line of dialogue in this movie. It's the most famous quote from Mad Max: vroom vroom. Of course, that's what you can hear the lead actor, Melanie Gibson, whispering as he's driving that beautiful <laughs> interceptor around. You can hear it just slightly on the soundtrack. Oh, very exciting stuff. So we're in we're in our Australian Psycho miniseries at the moment. We've been covering a lot of great Aussie flicks that run the gamut of psychopathy from... Mm-hmm criminal underworld to now dystopian um cuckoos exactly and we couldn't be talking about all things aussie cuckoo and kaka without talking about the most car car movie of all time (laughs) mad max mad maxwell very excited to dive into this one it's also going to be our little uh pause point on Mm -hmm. this series for a few weeks so I think it's a nice spot to leave us on for the moment before we pick back up in a couple of weeks. Um, this movie, believe it or not, is one that I took a lot longer to see than I than I would care to admit. Well, you must admit it here. How long? Okay, okay. I, I'm happy to go on the record and admit it, even though really? it does you're bring cha- me great shame. <laughs> you're changing your tune? First you're saying you wouldn't care to admit it yeah. and now you said you're happy to do so yet it will bring you great shame my god this is a guy of many layers i honestly feel like i'm being cross-examined by vincent laguardia gambini over here i can't <laughs> you're a wonderful <laughs> wonderful litigator yes i'm a litigator and guess what you're a shitigator mate if you don't oh, talk about it heck okay so i i saw um mad max 2 and Thunderdome and mm-hmm. Fury Road all before I saw the original Mad Max. Wow, you are barely a true Aussie. And guess who else joins you in okay. that camp? None other than lunatic Lex himself, Alexi Toliopoulos. I too hadn't wow. seen this movie until maybe two years ago, but I had seen Mad Max 2. I had seen Beyond Thunderdome. And guess what? I had even journeyed up the Fury Road a couple mm. of times. Yeah, now the Fury Road, is that the uh, area between the asshole and the balls? <laughs> <laughs> I tried so hard to give you zero. But <laughs> I bet I couldn't, I couldn't hold back my glee and joy for that little beautiful little riff. <laughs> oh man, yeah, yeah, and you know what? I kind of thought that Mad Max was going to be different to what it is. I knew that it was a lower budget film than the uh, sequels, but it's kind of a bit tonally different too. It has all the DNA for things that would come on to define the franchise, but it feels more. I don't. It feels more like a oh, like. Less dystopian, more human. More of like a humanistic film. 
And I think that's probably because it comes from, you know, a younger filmmaker, obviously, at the time. He did not Benjamin Button and age in reverse. He was younger in 1979 than he was in 2018. And yes, there have been rumours that Kennedy Miller, the production company behind Mad Max franchise, did have access to Benjamin Button technology, Mm. but... It was just Happy Feet technology, so that's the way the confusion was. Tragically, they only had Happy Feet tech, so (laughs) they could only make they could only make George Miller dance around. And (laughs) might I say, this Mm. is a little rude, perhaps a little bit of a rude razz that I'm going to put out there. Mm. Um, the guy did kind of transform into a penguin over the years. I mean, like, you see him at the Oscars and stuff. He's got those great little glasses with, like, the band that ties them together so he doesn't drop them. But his suit, his little penguin suit, I love. It's got the white tie. He wears the scarf. His glasses and hair all lead him to look a bit like an emperor penguin. Bit of an Oswald Cobblepot type. Absolutely. And I say this as a George Miller acolyte. As do you, Cameron. You're a big fan of one of his movies, right? Which one? Um, I believe it's called Lorenzo's Oil. <laughs> <laughs> now, what are you referencing here? You're referencing a joke that I made one time? Yes, but it's my favourite joke you've ever made in the history of our friendship. It was <laughs> Which, a little tweet Cameron put out there into the world that I reckon... I think I've actually got a bookmarked on my computer, so I can just be like, yeah, i got to read that again. What is it? This is Cameron's beautiful Lorenzo's Oil joke. From December twenty fourth, twenty twenty, the day the day before Christmas is when you're tweeting this shit out. <laughs> by the way, Holy Christmas shit. Eve, and this has received six retweets, a hundred and two likes, and the tweet is as follows: I've been jacking off with Lorenzo's oil, <laughs> and care to explain to the listener that perhaps is not as familiar with that George Miller movie. <laughs> What the titular Lorenzo's oil is. I mean, you know, first of all, uh, Your Honor, let me just defend the tweet. Sometimes when you make a joke, you make an effort to make it clever, layered. Mm -hmm. Um, There's double meanings in there and it's all quite clever and exciting for the person to read. Um, There's no extra layers or depth or twist (laughs) or punchline to this. It's literally one thought. Mm-hmm. And it uh, it made its way straight from my brain to my fingers to Alexi's yeah. brain in a matter of seconds. And deep into my heart after it hit my brain. Good, good, good. It may not be my most clever or you know erudite tweet, but at the end of the day, it really struck a chord with you. And I think I could have just not tweeted it and just texted it to you. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it didn't do very well. It didn't get many numbers. But, you know, I could have just texted it to you and it would have had the same amount God. of reach, probably. Someone make a cross-stitch of it for me. That's what I really want. That's my favourite tweet of all time. But the movie Lorenzo Zoyle is a very sad drama about a boy who's sick and mm. uh, they discover that there's a special type of oil medicine that c- it helps cure his peculiar illness. Mm. And it's actually very sad, tragic very drama. Very sad, touching movie. But very the oil in question is a life-saving oil. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. to me, that's where the humor is. is that <laughs> the life-saving oil is used as lubrication. To, yeah. To enjoy, um, you know, the, the fruits of man a little bit more sweetly. <laughs> is it Nick Nolte as the father in that movie? Yeah, Nick so Nolte. So I think my original thought, if we can unpack the tweet a little further, is that... um. You know how sometimes when you're at home and you're jacking off and you might occasionally dare to use your partner's moisturizer or something like that as mm, an no. extra special lubricant? Um, okay, how's Nick Nolte going to into well, this thought? I wonder if Nick Nolte uh, is ever in the bathroom and yeah. saw Lorenzo's oil there and thought, well, I'll use this. You know, I've <laughs> oh, you see, I'll use a little bit of this oil to uh, release <laughs> a little tension in my shelf. Anyway, I'm glad we took the time to unpack that tweet. Great. It's the sec- it's the best Lorenzo's oil joke. It knocks out the name of Jason Bateman's character in the Simon Pegg movie, directed by Greg Matola. Paul, his name is Lorenzo Zoyle. Oh, that's 
That stinks. Well, you knocked it out. You're not going to be so much close anymore. That's a really bad joke. Um, I'm a big fan of a particular George Miller film called The Witches of Eastwick. Yes, you got Jack in the sack. Jack, famous fun fact about this movie, he didn't know that he was being filmed. Yeah, they caught him on his day-to-day routine <laughs> as he tormented <laughs> Shan, Susan Sarandon, as he tormented them. They were able to catch it on film. Yeah, they caught it on film. And, uh, you know, it actually ends up being one of his greatest performances yeah, and as himself. He's quite funny in day-to-day life. Plays a lot of dramas, but he's funny in that movie. Yeah, I love that film. I, I pretty much, I don't think there's a George Miller film I don't like. Yeah. Except, That's you know, I'll be honest, I haven't seen Happy Feet uh, or Happy Feet 2. You haven't seen Happy Feet 2? Haven't seen it, no. Oh, my God. And I worked me. at the production company that yeah. made it. That's why it's crazy to me. Yeah. There's actually no animal logic in what you say in this world. <laughs> but we are talking about Mad Max. We really couldn't do an Australian Psycho miniseries without touching on... Mad Max and especially it's interesting to go back to this one because I think part of like in unpacking it and thinking about this movie and maybe about why it's distinct from its sequels what makes this movie distinct from them I think you almost touched on it it feels like weirdly more like a prequel to those movies than this was the first one that came out yeah yeah absolutely it's kind of like Nowadays, you get like, you know, the many saints of Newark or Mm. something like that that comes out and tells you, hey, remember that character you love? Here's how he got that way. Here's Um, how Max went a little mad. Yeah, that's what it should have been called. How Max got mad. Yeah, I think that would make a little bit more money. Just a little (laughs) bit more. Especially when the other ones come out, they go, oh, the prequel, of course, because of the title. okay. Yeah, I um I think it's a bit more of a human film. I feel like at this point George Miller was maybe less interested in creating a dystopian film and a dystopian mm. universe and more interested in obviously the commentary on the oil crisis, which is yeah. a a big reason that this movie exists. Um and I think he was kind of curious in just, you know, telling a classic hero story like you've got mm. a guy who loses everything and then feels like he needs to get revenge. And I think that the motivation for Max becomes less interesting to George Miller as the films progress. He then becomes more interested in seeing him as like a man with no name type who Mm. doesn't need, you know, the exposition or the backstory. He just exists. He's a force out there in the fucking desert. And he's running around and he's fucking driving cars and he's got a dog for a mate and then he doesn't. And he's got a little kid for a mate, and then he doesn't, you know. Then he's got a one-armed lady for a mate, and then who knows? Yeah. Who knows if he'll even be in the next one? Yeah, I don't think he will. But, you know, that's what's interesting about those sequels. Because from that point on, if George Miller's the MC, he's saying shit like, now he's a man that needs no introduction, because we did introduce him earlier on in the franchise. <laughs> In how Max got mad. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's Max Rockatanaski. Should we dive in? Let's do it, baby. In the not too distant future, there will be no civilization. There will be no heroes. They say people don't believe in heroes anymore. Well, damn them. You and me, Max. We're going to give them back their heroes. In the not-too-distant future, there will only be madmen and the main force patrol. Mad Max, the maximum force of the future. Mad Maxwell from 1979, directed by George Miller. Now, we're at the point in the show where we love to do a little segment called Love That Logline, where Alexi is going to find... A synopsis from somewhere on the wide, wacky web, which is what WWW stands for. Mm-hmm. And he's going to read it out, and we're going to decide, do we love it or hate it? Lex, what do you got? This one is from imdb.com, 
and it is written by a user whose name is Cole Matthews. And I picked this one because I believe Cole is a trusted source. He's written four other synopses on IMDb before. They're all rated highly. I'm going to read them to you in order. Number four, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. He's a top-rated synopsis for that. Number three, Mad Max, which I'm about to read to you in a second. Number two, it's John freaking Kennedy, JFK, the Oliver Stone picture. But the reason (laughs) I've chosen this before is because he is the number one synopsizer for the movie Donald Darkoid. Oh, wow. This guy knows his stuff. So he is a trusted tome of cinephilia. And here is his storyline for Mad Max. Taking place in dystopian Australia in the near future, Mad Max tells a story of a highway patrolman cruising the squalid back roads that have become the breeding ground of criminals foraging for gasoline and scraps. After some grisly events at the hands of a motorcycle gang, Max sets out across the barren wastelands in search of revenge. You know what? I'm going to say it right now. I loved that logline. And you know what's exciting about it? Beautifully written by Cole Matthews. Beautifully But Nary doesn't say a single thing about this movie. It's more about the vibe of the whole franchise. And I think that's fantastic. And there's so much wonderful adjective work going on in there. Mm -hmm. The grisly highway, the menacing breeding ground or whatever he said squalid back roads have you ever heard the word squalid followed by back roads before i've heard uh, squalid to describe my freaking bedroom when i was a teenager yes of course your mother cole matthews did describe it that way (laughs) yeah but that's it i mean this is wonderful work cole if there was any way that you could monetize this skill you've got into Mm -hmm. i don't know writing log lines for movies on the backs of blu-rays dvds you know stuff like that we do love our blu-rays here we We love love blu-rays we love dvds (laughs) (laughs) well cameron while we're talking about mad max shall we talk about Mad Max himself, Melanie Gibson. Let's talk about Melanie. Now, Melanie has become a divisive figure mm-hmm. in Hollywood, in celebrity circles, uh, especially for certain religions out there. This guy yes, exactly. has gone on the record to say some pretty vile stuff. He is... You know, often the newspapers call him Mad Melanie, and I think that's humorous because I would agree. He's quite... um. He's he's a little weird. He's definitely not normal. The guy's not normal. The guy, perhaps, dare I say it, you know, he may have a screw loose or something, if you will. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, he ain't the sharpest tool in the shed, to use some Australian slang. Because yes. we have sheds over here. We've got plenty of sheds, and guess what we pack in them? Tools. Sharp tools, usually. Yes. And the guy's quite a tool, okay? He's a tool. Yeah, he's a tool. Um, but i got to say, on this rewatch, um, it's like truly a star is born watching mm. him. He barely says a line of dialogue for ages, but, but just his fucking face. I mm. mean, my God. Like, the guy might be a piece of absolute turd, but he just, he's a movie star. Yes, the it's undoubtedly. You fucking see him, you're like, this guy's a fucking star. Look at him. He's handsome. Mm-hmm. He has sad eyes. He's, He's got- compelling. He's a bruiser. Oh, you know that famous story that Melanie has told many times about getting cast in this film? Yeah. Would you like to recount it for our listeners? Of course, it's the most famous story in Hollywood, this side of Don Rickles' gorgeous <laughs> anecdote about seeing Frank Sinatra at a gorgeous restaurant in Hollywood. Uh, but Melanie was an actor studying at NIDA, the most cherished and powerful acting school in all of Australia. He's studying there with great stars such as 
Judy Davis and Steve Bisley from Water Rats. Love Steve Bisley. We love Steve Bisley. Yes, it's true. Love Judy Davis. We love Judy Davis. We love Steve Bisley. And we have utmost respect for NIDA, the National Institute of Dramatic Arts. Even though I do believe that making people pay for artistic education is a crime, and I believe there should be a royal commission into NIDA wow. to determine whether they are actually good acting teachers or not. Yes, we <laughs> should dive into it. Maybe that's our next investigation is we go, NIDA, come on, you've released some stinkeroonies out into the world from you've acting. Got a lot of shitty actors and your fees are just exorbitant. I mean, what the fuck is wrong with you? Exactly. Then you're turning people like Rachel Griffiths away. Uh, hello? What, the, what does she not do in the audition? Basically, to become a NIDA student full-time, you need to come from wealth, you need to be mm-hmm. rich, and then that just ends up with an industry full of fucking richos. Yeah, And no exactly. working-class stories being told, or working-class actors out there. Absolutely. This is something that you and I are clearly both passionate and opinionated, and a third thing, know very little about. Yeah, that's very true. I've done no research into this, but I know that... I couldn't afford to go to NIDA when I wanted to. And as a result, I have a chip on my shoulder about that. And we know what's in our hearts. It's passion. Okay? So, Melanie is drinking. They, I mean, famously, they like to drink. Yeah. By the way, thanks for saying they when you describe Mel Gibson. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure of all the actors in Hollywood, Mel Gibson identifies as, like, he, him. Yeah, okay, well, ho-hum. That's what I'm going to say. I'm not going to pay that much respect to them. So they are drinking, they're partying, they get into a bar fight one night, but Steve Bisley, their roommate from NIDA, and Judy Davis, their dear friend, they take Melanie to the auditions for the Mad Max picture that's about to get made. And um, he's like, oh, I'm just going to hang out or whatever. I'm not going to audition. But George Miller sees the bruised face of Melanie, who'd been in a scrap and a sniffoo the night before, and was like, that is Maxie. That's Mad Max. Do you know what? I've heard that story many times. Never told as well as you just did then, but... Even from the mouth of Mel Gibson himself. And uh, I don't believe it. Mm. I think it's a lie. I've heard Mel Gibson tell it that he fought an entire rugby team at the pub. And as soon as you hear anyone say, yeah, I took on a whole rugby team. You're like, hang on a second. You're a fucking NIDA student. You're an acting student. You're a fucking uh, like an art dude. Yeah, you're, you're not, gonna get your art handed to you, brother. You're not going into the pub and fighting a whole rugby team. I think this is just classic Hollywood spin. I think it's yeah. a bit of a lie that's been told to make the story sound cooler mm-hmm. and to like make Mel Gibson seem like more of a movie star. And more of a unique discovery, you know, yeah, like, oh, yeah. we found this guy like Paul Hogan painting the freaking Harbour Bridge and had a twinkle in his eye, so we made him the biggest star in the world. No, the guy was desperate to become an actor. Like, he's training yeah. at the most prestigious school in Australia. And what, he's not going to go to the audition because he's hungover? No, he would yeah. just go. And he probably did help. It helped that he was, like, smashed up. And um, But, you know, that's it. I also think uh, that Mel Gibson would have been a movie star no matter what. Like, with or without this film, mm. the guy had the goods. Yeah, I rewatched Gallipoli not too long ago, hmm. uh, and that's a great classic Australian war movie set in World War One, um, and it's directed by Peter Weir. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it came out a year or two after this film. Yeah, yeah, and he was always going to make it. He's phenomenal in that film. He's truly amazing. And there's something about Mel Gibson's early movie star persona and his performances that I think does capture somewhat of like that brutish Australian, a little more on the side of uh, grub than a larrikin, if you will. But there's Mm. a charm about him nonetheless that is like uh, there's... uh, Man, crazy to say this, but like a morality about him, like a steadfast morality. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I also think it really helps that he's a lot prettier than uh, most of the Aussie bloke actors from around that time. Mm. You know, the guy could cross over from grubby little action film to 
war epic to romantic comedy to yeah. action comedy. Like he's period he, piece. He can yeah, do. he looks like a fucking marquee idol. He looks mm. he looks sensational. And uh, you know, uh, tragically, he did actually no, not tragically. The guy got uglier as he got older, and uh, mm. that's awesome because his personality exactly. is ugly as well. So exactly, and I actually will say it. I despise Hacksaw Ridge. I'll say it. Oh man, do you know I've never seen it. Did I tell you? I told you. I think the story of the extra that I met that was in it. No, are we allowed oh. to tell this tale out of school? Well, I can't remember the guy's name, so okay. it doesn't matter. But uh, I was working on a commercial a year or so ago, and one of the extras in the commercial was telling me that he was an extra in Hacksaw Ridge, the mm. Mel Gibson directed war film, and then he got fired from <sighs> Hacksaw Ridge. Because in a scene where he was supposed to be playing a dead corpse on the ground, on the battlefield, I guess, um, he's like laying on the ground and Vince Vaughn is standing above him giving a monologue to the surviving soldiers about how, I don't know what it's about, but probably like, you know, we got to make it, we got to get over that Mm -hmm. Hacksaw Ridge and we got to fight the baddies. I assume that's what the monologue is. Yeah, it's probably that. We got to fight the baddies, baby. Hey, babies, we got to get over there. It's money over there. We got to fight all the bad guys over there. There's so much money over there. We're going to have to go get the money and get all the babies from on the other side of Hacksaw Ridge. There's so many beautiful babies out there for us. <laughs> so Vince Vaughn's doing his like very dramatic monologue and he looks down at the pile of dead bodies played by extras at his feet. And the guy that I met was laying there on his back and he had like some prosthetic guts to look like his intestines had blown out and he was holding <laughs> holding a length of intestine down near where his dick was and pretending <laughs> it was a dick and miming jerking it off no 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 and looking at vince vaughn like with a big smile on his face wow. like isn't this funny look what i'm pretending i'm jerking off my dick no. and the vince- guy was trying to become the third wedding crasher with a joke <laughs> like that he was auditioning for a different movie while he was in freaking Hacksaw Ridge. In the middle of Vince Vaughn's big monologue, and Vince Vaughn, like, lost it. Wow. Just went like, get this fucking joker out of here. Get him out of Hacksaw Ridge. Fuck. Well, this guy's a true Aussie legend. That's awesome shit, dude. Yeah, to be such a larrikin that you're booted off Hacksaw Ridge, that's mm. awesome. Oh, my Lord. Well, I think as well, when we're thinking about Mad Max, the origins of this movie, uh, this is a dystopian film. You can't deny that. That's what its legend is, that it's a dystopian film. But it didn't always begin this way. Uh, And I think that's why we see this kind of set on, like, no shit, day one of the apocalypse or something. Or, like, three days later, five days before, who knows. But it's not a total dystopian, apocalyptic, like, ramshackle world. There's people still eating at, like, highway cafes and stuff like that. Yeah, there's, like, businesses still running. There's, like, shell service stations and Mm -hmm. buildings are still operating as, like, jails and schools and stuff. Yeah, so it's, like, day one. Like, shit is going down, but it's not all the way there yet. And that is, like, partly out of, like, necessity for a few things that, like, Miller was feeling when making this movie. So, George Miller is famously a doctor and a director. But he's a doctor, and uh, he was working in, like, emergency and stuff. And this is, like, part of Australian culture, I would say, uh, is that... Uh, this movie is inspired by what is nearly, I would say, like a f- four times yearly epidemic in mm. road deaths in Australia. Like whenever yeah. we have holidays, Australia has a lot, like a high, high, high number of death by car mm. crash and carnage like that. And, you know, that's as a young doctor working in emergency and stuff, that's quite tough to see and i think he was a bit scarred by those and hearing yeah, those stories kids come in from like car wrecks and stuff mm. and that would have been horrible and it is a really it is an epidemic i often wonder if it's as prominent in other countries as it is here because so much of our highway billboards mm. are taken up with speeding kills slow down um sort of signs there's there's always a new yearly ad campaign kind yep. of like warning people about speeding there's a lot of speed cameras around. Yeah. I actually just read a great book by an Australian uh, writer and journalist called Lech Blaine, 
called Car Crash, which is about his experience surviving a car crash when he was a teenager. And it it brought all of that back to my mind that this mm. is this is something our country takes very seriously. Yeah. And you can see 1979, probably the legislation and the government weren't taking it as seriously, but this young artistic fucking doctor decided that he had to do something about it. And and I guess that's kind of the birth of the idea of Mad Max. Yeah. Originally, it was going to be contemporary set and uh, it was going to be told through the perspective of a journalist. And he kind of then realized like, oh, that's a little bit boring. I should bring a bit more movie magic into it. And he went to a writer, told him the idea that he wanted to be more like a Western kind of feeling, uh, like a modern Western. But then also it was like, I hate the Victoria cop uniforms. I hate the cop cars <laughs> in Australia. They look so lame. Let's spruce them up. Let's set it a little bit in the future and make it a little bit dystopian apocalyptic because also we don't have money for extras. So we'll give yeah. a reason why the world feels so empty and barren mm. um i also read like contemporarily to this the 1970s was kind of like a pretty prime prime era for like oil shortages mm. the oil crisis was going on which of course led to like all the gulf war shit later on but he he and miller they would be driving around and they'd see like lines going around the block and down the street for petrol mm. stations just and that led their minds to wondering, like, if this keeps going the way it's going to go, will people start killing each other for oil? Yeah. And, of course, that becomes quite literally what this movie is about. Yes, of course. As the franchise grows, so do the thematic elements of it. And I think, like, that's one of the things that I'm really drawn to in re-watching this movie now is seeing, like, that kind of ramshackle way that uh, apocalyptic world can be built by using very few uh, kind of, like, props and elements hmm. that we would now really consider to be part and parcel with, like, what Mad Max's identity identity is, which is like huge spectacle, amazing costumes and incredible set pieces and built up very physical worlds to kind of see it like be found worlds. And to me, there's none more iconic than the Melbourne University car park that is used as like the quartermaster's pit for the police squad, which is this really unique underground car park <laughs> that has like these arch domes covering uh, like up between each arch in the car park. And it feels incredibly sci-fi. Like it doesn't feel like it's from, like it doesn't feel like a modern day car park at all. It feels so far off in like that retro futuristic world. I didn't realize that's where it was. They filmed yeah. that at the Melbourne Uni. Oh my God. Yeah, and that's where, like, MasterChef has filmed there. Troy Sivan took some photos recently for his Instagram and stuff like that. I actually didn't know that off by heart. My partner told me that, so I may have got that Troy Sivan thing wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's such a fucking cool-looking uh, space. I didn't realize mm. that was the Melbourne Uni. Shit. Yeah. We should go that's there. That's one of my dreams to shoot there one day, to do an apocalyptic or futuristic thing and just use that as a location for Dude. no reason. It's one of your dreams to shoot there. It's one of my dreams to park there one day. Dude, hopefully I can be there on the same day and it's for the same reason. Our Both our dreams coming <laughs> yeah, together so. at the same time. Oh, by the way, I just found an article on realestate.com. The headline is, Melbourne University car park honoured as a top concrete work. That's actually the top honour in Australia, so <laughs> good on them. Yeah, that's like the Oscars down here. If you can yeah. get a... A concrete work award, you've done very well. Yeah, they're the biggest celebrities, like concrete workers in Australia. <laughs> we, we really admire them. Oh, God, that's so fucking cool. Yeah, and I guess, uh, where was this shot? This movie was shot, was it Broken Hill? Is that where they ended up doing yeah, it? Yeah, Broken Hill and Victoria, outskirts of Melbourne is what I believe. Yeah, I mean, I fucking loved it. I got to tell you, I like after watching, you know... 2 and Thunderdome and Fury Road, you begin to sort of like, you forget that this movie begins basically in reality, mm. like a kind of, you know, slightly futuristic version. By the time we get to Fury Road, it's like all desert and there's yeah. these fucking big, crazy, like, isthmuses 
sticking up out of the ground mm. and all this shit. And it, it sort of feels like you're on another planet. But I love watching this one again and going, oh, shit, this is just just outside Melbourne. And... And I can recognize like logos for companies that exist down here and stuff like that. It's fucking cool. I actually kind of like it a bit more as this sort of almost like almost urban. Mm. As well, I think that's like kind of like what is the inspiration for this movie is he was also inspired by a fantastic classic Australian game. bikey movie that came out about half a decade before this that really sits as like a bit of a pinnacle and an opening point for the Australian Ozploitation movement which is uh, called Stone and it's oh. like about these bikies, it's about an undercover cop that infiltrates them to find who killed the senator I re-watched it recently and I just adore that movie Man, I haven't watched it in such a long time when I was at uni, I thought Stone was the coolest fucking movie of all time I probably haven't watched it in like five or six years. Does it hold up? You recently just watched it. So yeah. what's, it, what's it like? I, I, this new restoration that they put together uh, from Umbrella Entertainment, it's like watching it for the first time. It looks stunning. And it's so formally interesting as well. Like it's by, uh, by like a lot of people that are not pure professionals. It's got some of the same cast as Mad Max, people that I'm sure we'll talk about with um, Roger Ward and Hugh Keys Burn. Of course, we can't mm-hmm. talk about this movie without talking about them. But um, it, it's what is cool about it, and I think what is part of the Mad Max DNA as well, is that it is something that falls between this balance of fantasy and fantastical genre filmmaking and Hmm. just a little bit of like gritty authenticity or reality to it and Mm. i think that's really evident in this first man max film is like it's in that world and what's interesting to me is like this structure the form of this movie the shape of this movie it begins with like this high octane absolute like incredible car chase between like these patrolmen and i love how aussie the heads look on these patrolmen and how in contrast also just as equally aussie the heads of knight rider and his partner um driving around in like their souped up like uh v8 i was gonna say vw is a v8 (laughs) (laughs) but in their souped up v8 it's like ripping through the australian highways that is such an incredible crescendo to begin this movie on and then the rest of the movie the shape of it is kind of like almost a denouement from the start that like Hmm. ends in a slight dip up as max's insanity and cause for vengeance rises like i think that's really interesting about this movie that's like a slow revenge story like slowly things build up that he needs to get revenge for as the movie goes on until he's broken and is just a vessel for vengeance yeah i think that's what surprised me the most about it was the the um, i guess i assumed that there'd be a big act of some some horror at the start of the movie and then the rest of the flick would be a revenge flick Mm. but i mean the big moment where he loses everything that doesn't happen till quite a while into it yeah so it is just like second along in like bad things happening like steve bisley's character goose is burned up and destroyed in a horrific moment um by the bikey gang and then then he goes on holiday basically mad yes takes like a summer holiday and then things turn to shit that took me by surprise when i'm like whoa this guy just like goes to the beach and shit and he goes to the country there's all these like nice locations this guy had no idea what was gonna happen by 2018 there's none of this shit there's no buildings there's nothing all that you've got is quentin kennehan like yeah as a little scrublet scribe running around <laughs> um i'm glad you brought up stone uh, it reminded me that i want to rewatch it again mm. i fucking i used to fucking love that movie so much uh because it also gives us a good opportunity to talk about the villain of this flick who is also yeah. in stone hugh keysburn tragically we lost him last year yeah vale hugh keysburn he Valet. is a freaking phenomenal actor and yeah. even beyond that like he's a very talented actor but beyond that he has some of the most exciting and brooding chemistry that's ever been put to australian celluloid oh my god he's a fucking by all accounts a really great dude 
mm-hmm. off screen too and did a lot for the arts community yeah. and stuff like that. I have actually he, met him. I met him a couple of times. What did he come to afters or something? He came to a screening I did of another movie he's in uh, called Man from Hong Kong, which is an hmm. absolutely awesome Australian action movie from the 1970s, just a bit before this one, by an Australian filmmaker I love called Brian Trenchard-Smith. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they did a bunch of restorations of his movies not too long ago, and he came back, and I was lucky enough to present, like I think, two or three of his movies with him and do Q&As after. And all of the old buddies were coming out of the woodworks. Like, Roger Ward came down for them. So did Hugh Keysburn. And it was so cool to just see Hugh Keysburn in person. He was so sweet and so kind. But he's like Immortan Joe and Toe Cutter. And he just looks so big and brooding and exciting, even as, like, an older gentleman. But he was so sweet and kind. And all that presence was there. Like, he didn't announce himself. But when he was in the room and I got up the front, I was like, oh... He's there. Can I get a big round of applause for him? He's here in the room. And people oh, went that's nuts. That's so cool. That's so cool. Man, I that's one thing I really love about this film and Fury Road is that we we like reuse the same actor to play different bad guys. That mm. that makes it makes the universe of Mad Max feel like like a fucking cartoon or a serialized TV show yes. or something where sometimes recurring actors come back but they're they look different now and they're playing a different type of person. I just fucking love that shit and you never see it anymore. There's so yeah. much commitment to you played this character, so you can't play another character in these yeah. sort of movies. I fucking love it. I love Toe Cutter. Mm. Such a fucking cool villain. And he really steals the film. Like every time yeah. I watch this, I'm like, oh, I forget that this is Hugh Key's burn film. Like it's he owns this movie. Yeah, it's real Shakespearean the way he performs it. Like he gets to do these monologues, these soliloquies that are like mm. poetic and very performative and dramatic. And he's kind of like sensual and a bit grubby yes. at the same time. And then you get to see him, you know, like however many years later playing Immortan Joe in Fury Road. It's like a fucking totally different dude. He's just all animal in that movie. It's just, it's incredible. So such different performances to play, you know, essentially the same bad guy twice. I think that's like the secret that you just hit on with like Hugh Keysburn, like why he's so singular and dynamic on screen is that, he looks like an absolute grubby rock star. Like, mm. he's got the, this cool look. He usually has, like, a kind of cool big mullet thing going on, a little goatee or beard, and has sometimes got, like, earrings and stuff. He looks like a cool bikey. Uh, but he is, like, a highly trained actor from the Royal Shakespeare Company. Hmm. And I think there's that magic energy about him that always, is always straddling those two lines. Yeah, that's fucking awesome. I'm looking at pictures of him right now, and holy, yeah, the guy looked fucking cool. He's, I gotta say, he's maybe the coolest Australian actor of all time. Like, there's, I can't think of anyone else, you know? He is it. Yeah. Maybe Tony Hayes. Tony Hayes is up there. (laughs) Oh, we love Tony Hayes on this podcast. We love you, T. Come on sometime, please, T. And they have similar builds, you know? They're just like mm. stocky blokes. I love yeah. it. Fucking oh, cool. man. This is... It's oh, it's so fun talking about this movie. I was a little intimidated by talking about such like a bona fide classic crossover world hit in this film. But I, I love it. I love talking about Mad Max. I know. It makes me want to watch them all again. It's been quite a while since I've watched them all. I think when Fury Road came out, I went through such a fucking mad max thing where i just Mm. i watched them all again and i got and i got so pumped on that movie i thought it was the coolest action movie maybe it is maybe it is the coolest action movie that i've been lucky enough to see in the cinema you know yeah it's uh, a miraculous film yeah i'm excited to see what happens next anyway we're not we're not up to that point yet yeah we're not we're not up to that point yet I think as well, like, what is so key with this movie finding its voice and catching on with an audience is that there is inherently something uh, that Australia and Australians are 
interested or obsessed with the mm. apocalypse and mm. living in a dystopian world. Like, obviously, Australians, they love cops. They love cops for one of them. <laughs> they they love cops. to be a, a little bit of a police state in Australia. Um, but also, like, I think there's something in that, you know, this is not our land. So we mm. are... a there is this foreboding energy about this land, this the country that we call Australia, where it doesn't belong to us. And I think that's why Australia feels like this, this drawn, they feel drawn to the apocalyptic world. Yeah, very true. And also, I mean, the fact that, you know, we are the furthest away from everything mm. else. We feel like we're on the edge of the world already or we're at the end of the world. There's something, I believe that we have a, a fascination with, apocalyptic times or dystopia because probably first of all we stole the place yeah (laughs) and second of all like the white people were sent here as a punishment so it kind of almost felt like we're sending you to the far reaches of the fucking globe good luck surviving out there yeah and it turns out it is quite a nice place with beautiful beaches and wildlife and everything so we've turned it we've done okay we've you know it's, it's not as bad as they make it out to be in Mad Max. We've done all right. Exactly. And I think like part of it as well is like, this is something I talked about with Blake on the, the um, Outback Killers episode we did on um, uh, The Loved Ones, is that Australia is a huge country with fuck all people in it. So mm. it does feel like quite apocalyptic and barren and sparse. Yeah, you can drive across it and you can not see another human being for days yeah and it's actually what makes it such a beautiful cinematic country too like to to, you know i raved a little bit earlier in other episodes about um mystery road and goldstone and the Mm. mystery road series but the way that they shoot the outback in those films makes you go makes you realize that we do live in an incredibly special and unique place Mm. that can look like another fucking planet at times yeah Remember when we saw Sweet Country and we were raving about the fact that red dirt and white sand butt up against each other at a certain part of the shoreline and the territory, and you're like, How, yeah. what the fuck? That looks like Mars It looks like a different planet. It's those salt lakes, right? Yeah. Those dry salt lakes. Oh, my God. Yeah, incredible. And I think as well, we've got like a rich history of uh, dystopian films. Like what are some of the other films that like speak to this canon in Australian cinema? Oh, well, we watched one a little while ago called uh, These Final Hours or something. Is that what it was called? Yeah, that's it. Uh, Set in Perth. Yeah, yeah. With um, actually the young actor from that ended up going on to be in the Spider-Man movies. Yeah, and Guri Rice. And she's in uh, The Nice Guys as well. Yeah, that's right. And stars Nathan Phillips, I believe. And that's like a cool, the world is about to end and they're in Perth. It's the last place where like this wave is going to hit them. This wave of like nuclear energy or something. And I think that's really cool because it plays on like the idea of that Fremantle Doctor, which is the name of this cool wind that sweeps over Perth uh, from the ocean at the very end of the Mm. day. And I think it's playing with that as being like this scary thing. Isn't there a, uh, sorry, I was going to say, isn't there a Peter Weir one? I can't remember what that's called, but isn't there some... Yeah, The Last Wave. The Last Wave. With David Gulpalil. And that's like on the precipice of like a natural disaster apocalypse as well. So I think there's this obsession of the end of the world or surviving the end of the world. Two other ones that I really, really adore. There's one called... um, that I don't know if you ever saw. I feel like I may have like told you to watch it years ago. Uh, called Dead End Driving by Brian Trenchard Smith, hmm. and this is one of my favorite movies. And it's a very very cool genre picture set in a driving cinema in an apocalyptic wasteland Australia that is very much inspired by the Mad Max films. Hmm. Uh, but it's uh, basically becomes a concentration camp that uh, overnight this drive-in cinema and all these people are kept in there um, and refugees come in. It's like a giant commentary for lots of Australian issues like refugees and like a commentary on all of these like interesting things told through like an Ozploitation lens that I just absolutely adore. Oh yeah, you've raved about that one. I should watch that one. There's another one that I've been, I've never seen it, 
but I've seen the poster for it a million times, and I've seen it referenced a bunch. It's called On the Beach. <gasps> yeah. And it's oh like from, uh, it's like a 1959 film, Gre- Gregory Peck. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a classic fuck. book as well. Yeah. I, oh, Ava Gardner's in it as well. Mm. And it's, I think, really similar idea to The Last Wave or The, the Final yes. Hours, where it's like set in Australia as like some radiation is like spreading across the globe and the people in Australia are the last people that are about to die by this radiation poisoning mm. or something. Fucking cool idea. I should I should watch it. Yeah, it's this obsession. I think lots of people like make their bones making these movies. Like uh, Alex Proyas, the big time Australian filmmaker, did I Robot and Gods of Egypt and stuff. The mm. Crow. He makes his first film, which is like this big bizarre art housey funny weird uh apocalyptic movie called spirits of the air gremlins of the clouds which is about like people in a wasteland trying to uh make flying devices and it's very i think it's kind of uh almost like in the same tone of fury road in its spectacle but a much smaller and not an action movie at all it's a fucking cool title yeah, you. I think you dig it. It's a weird little movie. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I think like what we're coming to terms with in the end of this episode that like so much of Australian cinema is about these people either beginning a crazy person, losing their mind uh, to the nature of Australia or like the dangers of Australia hmm. and then having to like grapple with it or come back from it or something and it's it's interesting it's i don't know what it is but there's something about it australian cinema that is i mean it's freaking psycho (laughs) maybe we could when we come back after a few weeks and do another part of uh australian psycho maybe we could look at movies that that go deeper into that kind of Mm. feeling yeah i think when we come back we'll have to kick things off with fury road yeah dude fuck yeah let's do it but it is time right now to give away some oscars we have got some oscar categories this movie was recognized by afi in the acting in the acting categories hugh keys burn was nominated he won some of the technical awards but the big prizes often did in this year of 1979 go to my brilliant career a wonderful movie starring mel gibson's neither roommate judy davis but we're not talking about that great movie it's all about mad max and we're giving some oscars to it first oscar that we're going to give out is for best character actor we do it every episode where we shine a light and give a platform to an actor that will probably never receive a bald golden man statue Unless they make it themselves or something. Absolutely. And if there was a man out there that I would describe as Mm. bald and golden Mm. and statuesque, Mm. it would be none other than Australian acting legend, Mr. Roger Ward. Roger, you bald son of a bitch. We love you. He is one of my favorite Aussie actors. He's so iconic. At the time of making this movie in 1979, he was the biggest celebrity on set because he'd been in like Skippy the Bush <laughs> Kangaroo, Mutiny on the Bounty, uh, and uh, Stone, the man from Hong Kong, Mad Dog Morgan, Mad Death Dog Cheaters, Morgan. so many things. And he it was like a celebrity on set. Like people looked up to him. And he's such a unique guy. Like he's tall. He's got this bald head. He's got the body and build of like a carnival strongman and yeah. has like this <laughs> handlebar moustache. <laughs> oh my God. He's got such an iconic look and he's in just a million things. I mean, you just mentioned like six or seven. That barely scratches the surface. Mm-hmm. He's in so much stuff. He got to do some American stuff as he went on as well. I, I reckon I love it. I love to give this to him. I think it's uh it's very cool. He's one of the toughest looking fucking dudes I've ever seen. What a mug on this guy. I'm happy happy to give it to Roger Ward. And he makes the best choice in this movie. There's one scene where he's like kind of Mad Max's boss, like a bit of a police chief with him. And there's one scene where he's like telling him to like get out of here, go on holiday, unwind, rest. And he's topless, but wearing like an ascot tie, like a giant scarf. (laughs) 
And it's just like one of the most unique looks <laughs> I've ever seen on film because he's like this complete, like the, this mustache and this ascot while topless. So cool. <laughs> oh, he's in The Man from Hong Kong as well, the one you were just talking about. Yeah, he's awesome in it. He's so cool. I got to That's interview so cool. him as well for that film and Turkey Shoot. And man, he rocks. He's a king. Oh, that's so good. Uh, We also like to give out an Oscar to a very unique moment. So what we've decided to do is to give an Academy Award out for the most Australian kid's name in this film. That name, of course, is Sprog. Mad Max's child, his son, is named Sprog. Sprog. Sprog Rokotanaski. What is Sprog? Sprog, it's a word that we use in Australia and possibly in the United Kingdom as well. I'm not entirely sure, but sprog is a very exciting substance that when a man is to become aroused and his penis area is to be engorged with blood, sometimes with enough friction and enough uh, motivation and arousal, or if a removal of friction, a little bit of Lorenzo's oil on there, if you will. Absolutely. If you squirt a little Lorenzo's oil on there and apply some uh, back and forth motions with mm-hmm. the hand or mouth or any other body part, um, something very exciting and fun and viscous can emerge from the head of the penis. And mm-hmm. that is called sprog. And it's also used to describe children. It means kids where they're like, drop the sprogs off at the pool, mate. And they're talking about kids. And that's probably one of the more revolting words that somehow has entered the lexicon. You don't hear it very often anymore. I probably haven't heard the word sprog since I was 10 or 11. Yeah. When I first sprogged, probably. Yeah, those little sproglets out there in the world. But it's used, it's a, the one of the weirdest words. It's such like a colloquialism in Australia to call kids sprogs. Yeah, I don't like it. It's And this is maybe the only time it's ever uttered in a film. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Or, unless it's in a porno, like, oh, fuck, I'm about to sprog <laughs> or something like that. Oh my lord, that is dirty That is dirty stuff, good lord Yeah, we're well, giving it to you, thank you very much, Sprog And Sprog, you're a wonderful young child <laughs> Shall we move on to credit where credit is dude? Yeah, the new segment where you watch those credits You see them scrolling up And every time you watch credits, something sticks out to you, right? Like this is a shared experience Yeah, absolutely Every now and then when you're watching the credits, you see a dude that you know. Someone's got a nickname, something like that. Mm-hmm. And in Mad Max, there was one that stood out to me. It was in the special thanks section right at the very end. One of the things that is thanked is Ritmeister Cigars. And I looked it up. It's the only time Ritmeister Cigars has been thanked or credited in a film franchise or film picture anytime. They still have an active website where... It's got a picture of a man who kind of looks like uh, a conquistador <laughs> or Pepito from the Madeline franchise. Sure, uh, sure. Mad Madeline, if you will. Mad and, Madeline. Yeah, and then he's got a beautiful black stallion with oh, him. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at a picture of him right now. I'm on the Rittmeister page. Yeah, and it's like just tobacco and stuff like that. I accidentally clicked... Um, no, I'm not over 21. So I did not see what the rest of the website was. <laughs> But, yeah. Did they fund the movie? I don't know. They must have. Why else would they be getting a uh, special thanks? Let's have a look. Rhettmeister Cigars, Mad Max. Not much is coming up when you search for it. In fact, nothing. No references. Maybe they just delivered a bunch of cigars to the crew or to... George Roger Miller Ward's or something. Chomping down on a cigar between and takes. he's like, oh, God, i got to fucking thank these guys with their fucking Pepito-looking cunt on the packet. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cameron, it's come to that time where we must totally mm. reboot this mm. film. Mm. And I guess we have to do it with a heavy heart because I adore the direction this franchise took, especially when there was less Mel Gibson in it in the best movie of the franchise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it's kind of been rebooted every time it's it, mm. it's come about. Like, the, there's the original by two. It kind of 
re-morphs it morphs itself into mm. a sort of like one man on a mission sort of like almost star warsy or something yeah monomyth type story by the way i think the mad max this first film set in 1984 and the rest are just set in like the 90s and to early 2000s yeah and that's a that's a pretty good representation of what australia <laughs> was like in the 90s and the 2000s exactly when i watched fury road like, oh that's like when i was in primary school yep yep very very accurate <laughs> Uh, and then the third one, the fourth one has been rebooted so far that they use a different actor, for fuck's sake. Mm-hmm. But they are coming back, allegedly. Well, it's apparently started shooting, or it's about to start shooting, it's in, in New production. South Wales. Mm-hmm. It's in production right now with a fourth film in the franchise. Oh, sorry, a, f- a fifth, fifth film. Fifth film, yeah. A prequel called Furiosa, about Furiosa, Charlize Theron's character. Which is exciting. I love that idea. I think that's so cool. Agreed. And I don't want to reboot it. I want to be in it. Me too. I actually went so far as to email a friend of mine who's a casting director on uh, a lot of films, and I said, please, if you hear of anything, can I audition for this? And she said she is not casting it, but she'll let us know who mm. is. But I figured while we're waiting to find out who is, yeah. we should do an audition right now for Furiosa. Okay, so Lunatic Lex and Crazy Cam. Yep. These and are our characters. Maybe we're two like podcasters in um <gasps> in the future or something or Yeah, that'd be awesome if we're like the radio guys and we like narrate the whole movie. Like when... we're hot American summer style. Yeah, or like at the very least we're narrating like a gladiatorial fight or something between oh. Furiosa and whoever <gasps> Chris Hemsworth's character is. Thor? Furiosa is entering the arena. As you can see, her chariot is being pulled along now by two glorious sprogs. And she has the mightiest saber in her hand. (laughs) She could strike down any sproglet with this flick of her wrist. We hope that she spills the guts of her enemy tonight and we can all feast on it and one of us can pick up a bit of intestine and masturbate with it like Vince Vaughn's <laughs> mate in Axor Ridge. Oh, yeah, that's one of our biggest heroes here in Australia. That guy <laughs> that masturbated with his intestine <laughs> in Axor Ridge, ruining Vince Vaughn's take. He has become the Prime Minister of Australia in this future. And we respect him. <laughs> I reckon that's pretty good. Yeah, so Georgie, if you're hearing that, let us know, okay? Send we, us an email. We would absolutely adore the opportunity to be cast in Furiosa. We don't need speaking parts, although it would be better for us it for our show be, reels. Uh, and- show reel would mean a lot and you know, get some residues off that. Yeah, but I can understand if you'd rather give it to famous actors. But, you know, you could just give us a tiny little, like, Quentin-esque part in the movie. Yes, give us a chance, a Quentin-shaped chance, please. Oh, I'm happy to go full nude except for, like, a weird leather pouch over my dick and balls (laughs) and a chain that runs from... My nose to my <laughs> asshole or something. And I'm happy to do the exact opposite, completely gimped up but with a hole cut out for my little <laughs> pin dick to be true from. So yeah, we're happy to look like that. We'll talk We can or we play won't brothers talk. or something. That's yeah. what we our parents dress us as opposites. Yeah, yeah. So just think <laughs> about it, George. We'd love the opportunity. In the meantime, before we get that opportunity, this is a little pinpoint from the pin dicked man himself putting it in here. <laughs> but, uh, we are taking a pause from Australian Psycho. Um, you know, things are a bit crazy here. We're in lockdown at the moment. Mm. Uh, Cameron is working full time, so it's a little harder to get everything wrangled together. Because, yeah. you know, and there's a lot of farting and effing and jeffing on this podcast, but we do do a lot of research when it comes to it. A lot of research, a lot of watching movies. Um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. I have to take a couple of weeks off to finish working on this show that I'm working on at the mm-hmm. moment, um, which, you know, it's it pains me to do it because I really do love doing this podcast and getting to watch a movie and then talk about it with you and then talk about it with... Uh, our people in the Cinephile Registry is one of my great joys. Mm-hmm. But uh, for a few weeks, I do need to take a couple of weeks off. 
Uh, what are you going to be doing in the meantime while I'm pulling my pod? In the meantime, I'm ex- I'm uh, pulling the pod as well on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to do a little mini series with some exciting guests on this podcast that are beloved. I'm going to do a mini series I've wanted to do forever, which is I'm calling it cuisine on screen, and it's going to be an ode and celebration of food movies. That's so cool. That's a great idea. So we're going to kick things off on the next episode with a beloved food movie classic for cuisine on screen. It is Ratatouille. Oh, the little mouse that sits inside a man's heart and tells him, hey, you can cook too, buddy. Exactly. Classic movie. So we'll be joined by Mitch Orr, beloved guest on this show, and celebrity chef. And we're gonna talk about some of like the a few episodes on the canon of what we think the best food movies of all time are. That's so good. Fuck, I can't wait to listen to that. That's so exciting. Yeah, and you know what? I'm gonna miss you. Yeah, I'm gonna miss you too. Are you gonna do the uh strictly the prison scene from Goodfellas where they're making the red sauce? We will have to discuss it at some point. There's no way not. Goodfellas is one of the iconic food movies, but it has been covered on this podcast before. So perhaps that will be in the wrap-up episode when we talk about some of the discarded elements of food movies that we didn't get to. Uh, But we will be coming back in just a few weeks' time with more Australian Psycho. Also with a a miniseries this intense, where we talk about intense movies. Um, It's good to take a little break and talk about some more joyous things. And also, because we're in this weird lockdown space, we wanted to do more interviews with this miniseries, talk talk to some interesting people uh, that made these movies or are inspired by them in some way. And it's just been a little bit harder to do now that we've gone into like this full lockdown here in Sydney. Mm, yeah, it has been hard. But when we get back, uh, when we get out of it, and when we finally cure this goddamn virus, which you and which, I have been working very hard on the cure for. Yeah, we, and we in, did have to take some time off because uh, the podcast and your other job took precedence. So I was like, okay, I'm farting around, just playing yeah. with Bunsen burners by myself. So Yeah, well, well, when we get a chance, you and I can mix our sprogs together and see if that's maybe a cure. I don't know yet. I think it's worth tasting. That's all I can say. <laughs> uh, We'll get back into it We'll have some cool interviews And some cool episodes coming up And we want to get to that conclusion Eventually of like why Australia Is so obsessed with psychopathy Uh, But in the meantime You can hear more from us Over at Total over at patreon.com slash total reboot for five bucks a month you get access to a bunch of more episodes uh cameron in the meantime you've also got your other podcast if you miss him that much go listen to him there (laughs) yeah you can listen to the becky and cam hotline which is strictly bullshit comedy podcast that you can check out with myself and becky lucas and uh you won't miss alexi because you're still going to hear him but you can hear more of him on his other podcast yeah, the Big Film Buffet. We are currently doing a mini-series of this cool new slasher trilogy called Fear Streets Parts 1, 2, and 3 set over a different era in kind of slashery history. And they're from the mind of R.L. Stein. And guess what? I freaking interviewed him on one of those episodes. So check it out. He's like one of my all-time heroes and you can probably hear me sound very nervous. That's awesome. I love RL. I love IRL. And hopefully we get to hang that style sometime soon (laughs) once this lockdown is over. Uh, You can follow both of us on Instagram. I'm at I'm Cameron James. Alexi is at This Is Alexi. And is there anything else we need to say? All we do need to say is hooroo and we'll catch you when we return with some more Australian Psycho, but stay tuned for Cuisine on Screen over the next couple of weeks. And Cameron, both me and the listeners will miss you, okay? I'll miss you guys as well, and I'll be back. And everyone out there, stay safe, please. Stay at home and stay sexy. I know you guys are fucking sexy. I can tell. don't forget to lather up with a little bit of Lorenzo's. (laughs) 